Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 11 today. And so let's just jump right in together. Psalm 11, it tells us it's to the choir master of David. So this is uh, specifically named as one of David's Psalms. And here's how it begins. It says, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, David begins by saying and stating that he takes refuge in the Lord. This is something that you see uh, pretty frequently in the Psalms, this idea of the Lord is our refuge. A refuge, of course, being a place where you go for protection, right? a place where you can be safe, where you can be delivered from your enemies who are seeking to do you harm. And the Bible says, uh, for example, quite famously in, in one of the Psalms, um, the Lord is our me, refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. David here is saying where he finds refuge, where he takes refuge is in the Lord. And it's because of that, that he then responds to those who are uh, threatening him or, you know, trying to make him afraid. He says, in the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul? And then he quotes what his enemies are saying to him. So he's saying, as it were, I'm, t I'm taking refuge in the Lord. The Lord is my deliverer, my protector. The Lord is my defender. So how can you say these things to me? Why would you say these things to me? And so he, what are they saying that David is is pushing back on and saying, how can you say that since I'm, I'm under the Lord's protection? So what they say is, flee like a bird to your mountain. So run away, be scared, you know, go on the run. That's what they want him to do. They want him to flee. They want him to, to be afraid. Why? Verse 2, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. In other words, you should run away. You should flee because uh, the wicked is armed and ready to attack you, to seek to strike you down. Right? The wicked bend the bow, so they're getting their weapon ready. They fitted their arrow to the string. Right? They're, the, their weapon is loaded. Uh, they're ready to take aim at you and seek to bring you down. That's essentially what... Uh, what David's enemies are saying to him. So run away because of that. And then he says uh, in verse three, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Again, that's something that apparently his enemies are saying to him. Uh, what does that mean? That, that part's a little bit uh, more difficult, but it sounds like what they're, what they're threatening, what they're saying is that um, if we rip the foundations out, right? If we, if we attack your defenses, uh, let's say like a, a city wall or or um, something like that. If we rip it out from the bottom, from the foundation, so that nothing that you have built up can stand, what hope do you have? What what could you possibly do to defend yourself or be delivered or whatever? But David is not taking refuge in a city with a great wall. He's not taking refuge in a palace. He's not taking refuge behind a powerful military. He's taking refuge in the Lord. So he pushes back on these threats and says, how can you say this to me? Right? What, 
he's not going to flee. He's not afraid, even if they do seek to tear out the foundations of whatever they think he's trusting in. They can't remove uh, the foundations of the Lord, as it were, right? They can't do anything to undermine the Lord's ability to defend David, right? Because God is God. They can't harm him. They can't stop him. They can't thwart him. Uh, and so David is trusting in the Lord, but he has these threats coming at him, the people trying to make him afraid. And so here's how he responds, right? Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So David is reminding himself and reminding us that as one who's taken refuge in the Lord, in the face of these threats from an enemy, here's what he needs to remember. Here's what we need to remember. Uh, the Lord is in his temple. The Lord is in heaven, right? So he rules over all. He reigns over all. He's not confined to one particular place. Uh, he sees all. He knows all, right? So the Lord's throne is in heaven. He reigns as king over all of the earth, not just a portion of it. And he sees everything, right? He says his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. So he's observing us. Uh, as it were, he knows about all of us, what each of us are doing, saying, where we are, what's going on. He's aware. There's nothing that escapes his notice. And he says the Lord tests the righteous. Uh, we see uh, God test Abraham in the book of Genesis. We see God test the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, this is something God does. He, he allows us to experience hardships or, uh, or difficulties in order to, for us to be tested so that our, our faith can be displayed, so that it can be shown that we really do trust the Lord. Perhaps David is saying, these enemies who are threatening me and trying to make me afraid and trying to get me to run away, um, maybe God is using them as a test, right? Perhaps that's what's, what David is suggesting there. But he says, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So he says, God hates the wicked. God hates those who love violence, right? Who enjoy it. Um, and we need to pause and think about this and talk about this uh, for a moment because uh, we know two things to be true at the same time that are difficult for us to reconcile. Uh, one is that the Bible says that God loves everyone, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we know that God loves everybody. But it's also really clear here in the Psalms, this is not the only place, uh, that God hates the wicked. So how is that possible? Uh, um, I was talking with uh, a couple other people recently. We were talking about this kind of thing and and uh, one of them said, you know, it, whenever I am angry at somebody, uh, I'm usually not simultaneously loving them, right? That's, and that's what makes it difficult for us to think about God loving and hating uh, the same person at the same time. Because in us, that's very difficult. Uh, sometimes it might even feel impossible. It's definitely 
rare, right? Um, but God uh, is infinitely beyond us, right? And God is able to both love and hate the wicked at the same time. He hates the wicked because of the wickedness that they do that harms other people because God is just and loving. He hates that, right? But he also uh, loves those and wants them to be redeemed, wants them to be saved, wants them to turn back to him. So that feels like a contradiction to us because it's so hard for us to um, to do something like that and therefore hard for us to imagine it. But the Bible states unequivocally that both things are true, that God hates the wicked and that God loves everyone. Right? So um, then David prays in verse 6 for God to execute judgment on the wicked. He says, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So he's asking for God to rain down judgment upon the wicked. And then he says in verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. Right? So God's going to do what is just. God's going to do what is righteous. And these people who are doing wicked things that are bringing harm to um, vulnerable, weak, innocent people, um, God is righteous. He's going to do what's just. He's going to bring judgment. He also says in verse 7, he loves righteous deeds. Right? God loves it when we do the right thing. Uh, and he says, the upright shall behold his face. Right? They will... They will see God, in other words. Um, that's the, the great glory and promise that he holds out for the upright in heart. And the upright in heart and the blameless uh, in the Psalms are not talking about sinless people. Otherwise, it wouldn't be talking about anybody but Jesus because he's the only one who's sinless. But it is talking about people whose hearts have been made right. Who've, they've confessed their sin. They've turned back to the Lord. They're seeking to walk in his ways. Right? David was a man who was upright in heart, even though he did some terribly sinful things. But when he did, he repented, he asked forgiveness, he turned back to God. He was an upright man in that sense. Uh, that's the kind of person he's talking about here. Not a sinless person, but one whose, whose heart has been made right with the Lord. All right, let's talk quickly about how Psalm 11 connects to Jesus and how we can pray from Psalm 11. How does Psalm 11 connect to Jesus? Well, let's think about the very first line where David says, you know, my refuge is in the Lord, so how can you hurl these threats at me, right? Um, think about Jesus. Jesus was obviously also threatened by um, his enemies, by those who hated him. They wanted uh, him arrested. They wanted him killed. They wanted to do away with him, but Jesus did not flee. Now, he did uh, escape their clutches at times when they were seeking to arrest him. He knew it wasn't his time yet, so he would just sort of, you know, slip away, go somewhere else. But he wasn't on the run in fear of what they were going to do to him. He knew that God was in control. He was trusting in the Father, and he knew the plan. So uh, Jesus didn't flee, but uh, his refuge, so to speak, right, was in his Father. Um Jesus also, we talked about this before, I think, already uh, in one of the other uh, psalms, but Jesus and judgment. What are we to make of Jesus and these uh, cries for judgment? Because Jesus in, in the New Testament teaches us to pray for our enemies, bless those who persecute us. Um, he, he tells us to love our enemies. So what do we do with uh, 
David's asking for God to pour out judgment on his enemies. Uh, we even have a, a quite similar example of something like this from the ministry of Jesus when in Luke chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 53, it says, But the people did not receive him, this uh, village or town didn't receive Jesus, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. I mean, part of what I find fascinating about that is that James and John appear to be pretty confident that they could call down fire from heaven if they wanted to. But what's most important for us in this moment is the way that Jesus responds to them. Jesus rebukes them for saying this. Why? Is Jesus totally against any kind of you know, fire coming down from heaven upon anybody ever? No, that's not the case. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, it's very clear that there's going to be a time when people will want something to fall down upon them and crush them rather than face uh, the Lamb, right? Rather than have to face uh, judgment from Jesus because of their rejection of him. Um, but throughout his um, ministry, right, Jesus is not going around executing judgment on people, right? He's preaching repentance. He's calling people to faith. He's showing them what the kingdom is like with forgiveness and healing and, and all these kinds of things. And he wants people to turn. But there is going to come a time uh, when judgment will come. And the Bible even says that Jesus is the one who uh, has the authority to judge the living and the dead. So how do we then think about prayers like this, prayers for judgment in light of what Jesus taught and modeled for us? Well, one thing we should remember is that our, our first desire should be for people to be saved, for them to be forgiven, for them to repent of their sin. Uh, we want them to, to have new life, uh, to, to be, have their sins covered by the blood of Christ. But it's also appropriate to say that for those who don't repent, right, um, that we want them to stop doing what's evil, right? We want, it's okay to ask for God to put an end to the sin of the wicked, to bring judgment upon them for the terrible things that they've done if they refuse to repent. That is, there's nothing wrong with that, right? The Bible tells us that's what's going to happen. The Psalms uh, model for us praying for that to happen. Um, we, we don't want people to experience God's judgment. Uh, we want people to experience God's salvation. But we know that not everyone is going to receive God's salvation. Not everyone will repent. Not everyone will accept it. Not, not everyone will turn to the Lord. Not everyone will believe. And so for those who refuse, we still want their sin to stop, even if they won't stop sinning and turn to the Lord. Their sin has to have an end to it. And so that's where God's judgment comes in. And it's just for God to do that. right? That's what David talks about. Um, and then finally, uh, about Jesus in Psalm 11, at the last part of the last verse, it says that the upright shall behold his face. They'll see God's face. Jesus talked about this as well in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's what we're aiming for, longing for. That's where the Bible is taking us. That's what uh, Jesus' 
uh, death and resurrection are about, not only forgiving our sin, but forgiving our sin so that we can be in God's presence, so that we can see him. All right, so how can we pray Psalm 11? We can remind ourselves of who the Lord is. This is what David does for himself, starting in verse 4, reminding himself that God is on his throne, that God is in his temple, that God sees what's going on. Uh, we can also remind ourselves of what the Lord will do. Right? Remind ourselves, even in prayer, God, you have said, you will judge the wicked who won't repent. You will bring an end to all this sin and evil and wickedness, and you will make all things new. We are asking you to do it, right? We can pray for that. And then it is okay, like we mentioned, it is okay to ask for judgment. Uh, there's a, an appropriate way to do that, right? We Again, we want to ask for um, people to be saved and forgiven, but we also want to want their sin to come to an end, even if they refuse to stop sinning. So it's okay to, to ask for that. It's okay to pray for that. Um, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We're not to seek vengeance uh, for ourselves. We're not to seek revenge uh, for ourselves, but we do know that there is one who is a perfect judge, who is perfectly and fully righteous, and he will set things right, and he will make things new, and we can trust him to do that, and prayer is one of the chief ways that we express our trust in who God is and what God is going to do. God bless.